Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 33, 12. Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation. You know, in this series is uh, not a lot on theology per se. Uh, 99% of the time as pastors, we talk about theology. How, how many of you know that uh, there's times we need to address truths in history? Amen. And so, so uh, uh, like I said, I'm not a, a historian, but uh, of the studying and in-depth that I've dug into, um, you know, the truth will set us free, lies bind us. And so I subtitled this, uh, subtitled this message, America, it's still a land of opportunity. And I believe that. And I believe that. And so I just wanted to open up with this. Do I, do I tell people what they want to hear or do I tell them the truth? <laughs> need to tell the truth. But sadly, in our culture today, these two options are often mutually exclusive. How many know that the truth is hard to hear? And we say amen to that because we want the truth, but when we've spoken the truth to our life, it's very hard to hear. Got awfully quiet. <laughs> um, but so we prefer to hear what we like or, you know, even at times, even if it's not what we need. And when I look back in my life and the difficult times and the people that have spoken into my life and uh, uh, have helped me along the way, have spoken truth, even though it hurt, I look back and I think, you know what, they really cared about me. Wow, <laughs> I'm going to have to get things going here this morning. All right. <laughs> Anyhow, moving right along. Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. And another text is Psalm eleven three. Psalm eleven three says, If the foundations of a godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Or what should the righteous do? Or should the righteous be doing something or just sitting around? Uh, Hosea 4.6, very familiar passage, says, uh, the prophet speaks, he says, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And what I find today is, it isn't that there's not information out there, there's overload of information, but it's finding the truth, amen? And at times I throw my hands up, I say, God, what is the truth about this situation? We've had two highly charged uh, uh, court cases in the last few weeks in our nation. And, and, you know, like, what is the truth in all of this? And it's very, very hard to find. And then after a while, it, it, truth becomes, uh, usually it's unfolded. And you go, you know what? This was the truth in this situation. But how many know that God's word is our foundation for truth to live our life? the word of God, and, and, and that's what we stand on. But, you know, God cares about countries and nations and people. And uh, I heard uh, the German World War II pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was uh, actually uh, uh, martyred uh, uh, by uh, Hitler, and he said that the, uh, if, we, um, if we stay silent in the face of evil, that is conceded considered evil itself, and, and God will hold us not guiltless in that situation. And so there are times that we need to speak up, and this is a season to speak up. This is a season to tell the truth of God's word and not be afraid. Amen? Uh, so last week, just very quickly, and I'm going to share some, some historical facts and just a little background, uh, we talked about the tale of two cities in 1619. Uh, Jamestown, Virginia Colony, and then the 1620 Plymouth Mass uh, Pilgrims. And we talked a little bit about how critical race uh, theory and its media child, the 1619 Project, are, they're spinning, I believe, a false narrative 
of America's history. And, and, uh, uh, and I said this, that while the, 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 the colonists of Jamestown were, they were professing Christians, the pilgrims, I believe, were more in line to be uh, biblical Christians. How many know there's a difference? How many of you can say you're a Christian, but then not act it? Okay, we're starting to wake up here this morning, amen? And so we had to align up what we say. And I can remember that being in, in, in the Marine Corps, the first few months I was there at station after boot camp in the FMF, that I just began to go out and just began to sprout out, you need to this, you need to that, you need to get right with God, and boy, I tell you, I got hammered. I got hammered. I said, Lord, what am I doing wrong? He said, you need to learn to shut your mouth, amen, and become a witness, be an excellent Marine, be exceptional, and your duties, and I want to place honor on your life. How many know when people try to force honor on the life, it, it's like an affront. You can see that. You can like, oh, man, there's that, they're struggling with that. They're looking for validation. They're looking for identity. They're looking for approval. How many know our approval ultimately comes from the Lord? The Bible says that. It says that in the Psalms. He said it doesn't, promotion doesn't come the east, uh, south, east, north, or west. It said it comes from the Lord. And so we need to let the Lord do that in our life. How many with me? Say amen. And so, um, <clears throat> uh, and so we, I've said that Jamestown does not really reflect what Amer America eventually became. Uh, Plymouth in the Massachusetts colony, I believe, does. And so, so let me just do a brief background. This is not exhaustive, and I'm going to go through this very quickly. Uh, you can dig in deeper. Uh, I haven't read a hundred books on this, but I have dug in to find out. And there's actually, uh, you know, why the pilgrims came to America, why, why they came to America. And uh, there's, a, there's a one volume in uh, Leiden, uh, uh, in Amsterdam, where the pilgrims uh, were, were uh, where they kind of originated before they came to the U.S., that it's almost a thousand pages on the history of those early pilgrims. And so if you like that, you can dig into that. But just gathering from some a number of material, um, just a very honest statement of why they came briefly. Number one, it was freedom of religion. Freedom of religion. And they, because of the belief system that they held, they had irreconcilable differences with the, the Church of England. The Church of England was the established church. Um, <clears throat> they believed that the, that, uh, the, the established church, uh, their rites and their rituals and all of that, it was close to the Roman Catholic Church, and it was out of line what they believed, that the Church of England... and. There was public drunkenness that was going on, for an example, and it became widespread. And like you professed and claimed to be a, a you know, a believer, but what, what's going on here? And so, so there was, this, so was this, this, this center of we want to be free to worship God. So the group decided to leave the country, and by the early 1600s, we knew about Queen Elizabeth. Uh, she started a tremendous persecution of the pilgrims. Um, and then her successor, uh, King James, uh, when he succeeded her, he followed. And she made it, watch this, illegal to attend a church service of an unofficial church. Think about that, that this is the church you must go to. You can't worship somewhere else. How many get aligned with that? Well, no. And those pilgrims were like, hey, what, what's going on here? And so they fought against that. Uh, and so if they disobeyed, it meant fines, imprisonment, and they were even executed, some of them. So how many know that's called overreach? 
Okay, uh, and, and we need to wake up today. There's a lot of overreach in our country. And so the pilgrims had enough sense to know it's time to, you know, get out of this and get out from underneath this. And some stayed and, and, and they opposed the, and they became separatists and there's history about that. So, so there was religious freedom, but also, which not talked about, the pilgrims, uh, many of them left because of their families. Their families, they had a deep concern for the well-being of their children, and life in the Netherlands had proved to be difficult, and some of their children, they were assimilating into the Dutch culture, and they were abandoning their parents' values, and that was disconcerting to them. They were concerned, what's happening to our kids? And, and we know that the working conditions of the children, as little as eight years old, and, and factories coming from a, a farming background, and so, so they were very concerned about their kids. Church, we need to be concerned about our children. You see, this is why we're building a building, not just to say we have a new building. We're building a building for the generations to come, for your children's children have a place, a house of worship. You know, one of the first things that the pastor there, John Robinson, was the pastor of the pilgrims for 12 years. And when they came to Leiden, England, after they came down from Amsterdam and, and, and moved down, he bought some property. You know what he did? They built a church. And they started to worship. And, and for those who couldn't even afford a place to live, I love this, they built apartments for them on the property. So that was cool. And those that could, that were more whatever affluent, they lived in town. And that little small group of Puritans grew to 300 in that church. What an amazing. And he was a faithful pastor that preached the truth uh, in that time. So their families, they were very concerned about their families in the future. Economics. Uh, we don't talk about this much, but, um, you know, they were struggling. They were very poor. Uh, they wanted to make a decent living in the land of opportunity, and so they were willing to take the leap of what they heard about coming, uh, about with Jane Towns and coming to, to the, the, the colony. Uh, many were farmers. They left England uh, to go to uh, Leiden, and they couldn't adjust to the big city life. I remember when I first came out here, and uh, I grew up in Boston in the South Shore. And one of the things that people, especially from the, from the Midwest, when they go to New England, they feel claustrophobic. And there's a lot of stuff that's all built together tight in trees. And you have to know back roads and all of that. When my wife was out there, she goes, I'm lost. I'll get lost. But when I came out here, I was terrified. Because if I went down a county road, I would not know where to go to get out of here. Not that, well, today it's, you know, you pull up your Google Maps. But how many know what I'm saying? It's just, it was different. Well, for them, it was very challenging for them to take that leap as, as farmers when they left England. And they just couldn't adjust to a lot of them, the big city life and the language barrier that was there. And, and then working in the factory. And then there was an impending war between Holland and Spain. And, it, and if Spain won, and that loomed and it spelt danger for them. Uh, uh, freedom, their freedom was, uh, was to be taken from them that they had. And then I would say this, uh, and there's more points, but just to summarize, there was the Great Commission, the Great Commission. Their pastor, John Robinson, he preached from the Word of God, and they longed to bring the gospel to those who have not heard it, to America, to the, what they heard about, the, you know, those that lived here, the Indians, and, and they, they enjoyed some religious freedom where they were at, but they knew that was going to be taken from them. And so, so uh, they wanted to bring the gospel 
uh, um, to, to, the, to the new country. And, and their pastor, John, he preached, uh, history tells us, twice a week, and they met, and they met in prayer, and, and uh, he never made it. He never made it on the Mayflower. He never came over, and there's a lot of memorials and, 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 and sanctuaries that they have there honoring him. And he was, I, when I start digging into his life, uh, this guy was a rebel, John, he, he was a rebel. I mean, he fought the system. He was part of what they call the Scrooby separatists. And uh, they actually imprisoned him. <laughs> Think about that, pastor going to prison. That's actually been happening in some places. And he went to prison and he was tried, but he was freed. And so in summary, the pilgrims, they were afraid of, of losing their identity and, and their legacy. And so the pilgrims of Leiden decided to leave behind the harsh conditions in search of a new home. And they didn't want to assimilate or be punished for their beliefs. Can I get an amen? And so in the end, they decided to sail to America. And here we are today. So that fast forward to us to the Mayflower Compact. Compact. We talked about that last week, the Mayflower Compact. And we're celebrating 400 years. And here's what these guys penned while they were still on the ship in the harbor in, in Massachusetts. That, that what they had undertaken was for the glory of God in the advancement of the Christian faith. That's what they stated in the Mayflower Compact. Wow, and, and I said that this agreement established the idea of self-government through the laws made by the people. Many of you know Marco Rubio, and he is a conservative, an American politician, and a lawyer, and he threw his hat in the 2015 Republican presidential nomination. He didn't make that, and, but... Uh, 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 he served as the senior United States Senator in Florida, a CD has held since 2011, a member of the Republican Party. He served as Speaker of the Florida House of Representatives in 2006 to 2008, and he's 50 years old today, and he was uh, born in Florida to Cubans, Cubans who immigrated to the United States prior to the rise of Fidel Castro, and he writes that neither of his parents uh, uh, was a U.S. citizen at the time of his birth, and he grew up in a working-class community and watched his parents struggle to raise him and his siblings, and, and the family eventually gained U.S. citizenship. But he says something I thought that was interesting, and, and as I tempered this, as we share, as we dig into this 1619 project, is that he said this, America is still a land of opportunity for most, but it's not a land of opportunity for all. I thought that was interesting. If we are to remain an exceptional nation, we must close this gap in opportunity. I believe there's, there's some truth in that, that the gap uh, of opportunity needs to be closed. Well, as a, an American myself, born a white male, born to an Italian and Irish, uh, my father's side was a, 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 is Italian. My grandfather immigrated from Italy back in the 20s. They moved to upstate New York, and, and then my, my mom's side is the, the Irish side. I am appalled. I am horrified. At times when I think about the anguish, I am humiliated over America's history of injustice towards African Americans and racism. Somebody needs to say amen to that. It is, I, I, if you just read and look what has happened, I... You can't just brush that off, church, okay? Hear me now as I share truth. I just think of myself. I want you to put yourself in a situation where you're standing there with your child and it's ripped from you and you'll never see them again. I could never recover from that. 
Maybe you could. I could never be normal after that. How many with me? Okay, it's just, it's horrendous. And I cannot fathom how devastating it was for those families torn apart. Those, I I just, it is, it is agonizing. I, I, I'm just, I don't know how to, I don't know how to grasp that. The horror, the horror. However, I will say this, more than any other nation, America has come a long way in closing the gap for opportunity for African Americans. You can say amen. Last week, uh, we briefly touched on the 1619 Project founded by Nicole Hannah-Jones. She's an American investigative journalist and contributing writer for the New York Times. It won a Pulitzer Prize for commentary in 2020. And and its thesis is this, and we're just going to jump right in. The United States was founded in 1619, not 1620, when the first slave was brought to North America. So, wait, that brings up some questions. That brings up some questions. I mean, what happened to 1776 to July 4th? the Declaration of Independence that actually opposed slavery to George Washington. I think I have a slide you can pull up. Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. And then I even added, I said, well, there was this Northwest Ordinance in 1787 and 89, which contained Ohio, Michigan, uh, Indiana, Wisconsin, and Illinois that stipulated to protect religious liberty and to protect slaves. That was interesting. The Constitution of the U.S., 1788 and 89. And so what about our independence from England? Well, the critics say that was all just a smokescreen. It's all just a smokescreen. And according to the 1619 Project, the Founding Fathers pushed for all that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness stuff is to protect slaveholdings. That's what what they believe. And to them, everything that's wrong with America is tied to her original sin of slavery, from segregation to even traffic jams in Atlanta and other cities. Um, For the 1619 Project authors, racism is not part of the American experience. To them, it is the American experience. So the question is, is this true? So I'm gonna briefly look at uh, three of the project's major claims. Number one, preserving slavery was the real cause of the American Revolution. Well, if you had asked the founding fathers why they no longer wanted to be a British colony, they would have given you a long list of reasons, and taxation without representation would be one. Conflicts over debts from the French and Indian War. The Stamp Act, which actually Britain's first uh, serious authority to assert government control over the colonies in 1765. Uh, They taxed everything. If you had a piece of paper, if you wrote on the piece of paper, if you had a parchment, if you had an animal skin, they tried to, you know, bring control on the colonies. And, And these are just a few of the things they would have been frustrated, very frustrated about. But probably the most important was the burning desire to be free. That was at the core. To chart their own destiny as a sovereign nation, it was not to protect slavery. That's the truth, okay? Here's the thing. Slavery was not under threat from the British. In fact, Britain didn't free the slaves in its overseas colonies until 1833, 57 years later after the Declaration of Independence. So it's true that the subject of slavery was hotly debated at the Constitutional Convention, but that was after the war was won. Friends, preserving slavery was not the real cause of the American Revolution. Number two, slavery made America rich. 
Slavery made America rich. Well, slavery made some Americans rich, true enough. That's true. Eli Yale, for example, made a fortune in the slave trade, dealing with those from Chennai, India. And there's actually, a, there was a picture that got torn down uh, last year of him sitting there in a painting and a, a young boy uh, who was Indian that actually they believe had a collar around his neck. That's horrible. That is absolutely horrible. It should be removed. Can I get an amen? All right? And that's not Christian. But he made a fortune in the slave trade. He donated a lot of money and land to the university. It's named after him, Yale University. That's why we have hashtag cancel Yale, and they want to throw the name. It's an Ivy League uh, private research university in New Haven, Connecticut. I think it's the top Ivy League, top th- one of the top three in the world. But the institution of slavery didn't make America rich. It made some people rich, but not America, and I'll explain. The slavery system badly slowed the economic development of half the country. Thomas Alwell, who was actually a Marine Corps veteran, a Marine Corps veteran, uh, back of the Korean War, and he was drafted in, in and he, he joined the in Marines. He had an option with Branch, and he was a photographer. And a very famous economist, he points out in 1860, just one year before the Civil War began, the South had only one-sixth as many factories as the North. Almost 90% of the country's skilled, well-paid laborers and professionals were based in the North. So the banking, the railroads, the manufacturing, they were all concentrated in the North. Very interesting. The South, he says, was an economic backwater. Wow. So the cost also, if you add in the cost of abolishing slavery, was enormous, not merely in terms of dollars. I mean, it said that Abraham Lincoln, he borrowed billions of dollars to pay for it, but it was also in terms of human life. And this is not what's brought out much, but I want to bring this out, and I have a PowerPoint on this. We know the Civil War was fought between the Union States North and the states of the Confederacy South, but there are graveyards scattered all around this country. A very interesting point worth noting, 360,000 plus Union soldiers, the majority of them were white, died in order to free 4 million slaves. Amazing. And if we count all the war-related deaths and all those that got in behind to free the slaves that included civilians, they say it's even more than a million. And then many were maimed and injured to free about 4 million slaves. And, uh, and it was a generation before they were inevitably freed. And this was a nation with a total population between 30 to 40 million at that time. And what that means is if you break it down, that works out about one soldier in blue for every 10 slaves freed. He gave his life for it. Just a very interesting point. Friends, it's hard to look at the butcher's bill and conclude that the nation turned a profit from slavery. Now, am I saying that this makes white people better than anyone else? Absolutely not. No, my purpose here is to simply tell the truth. To tell the truth. And the truth is that human history is complicated. No one, regardless of the skin or their color, stands guiltless. Amen. But today, we are never told, we are never told to consider the murderous Persian Empire or the cannibalism of the indigenous tribes of North and South America, or the heinous actions under the imperialistic Muslim, Chinese, Mongolian, or Japanese empire, to just name a few. How many still with me say amen? Instead, we're told that slavery is a white phenomenon. 
Like all persistent lies, this lie spawns a bunch of other lies. You know, I have a scripture, John 8, 44. Jesus said that Satan is a liar and he is the father of lies. I think I have a slide for that. You can pull up. Thank you. He is the father of lies. And I thought, what does that mean? The father of lies means that he is the original liar, and that is his mode of operation, lies. Is there a, lie, a lot of lies going on in our nation today? Absolutely. You can have people being interviewed, interviewed on television, bold face, and they just look right at the camera, and they tell a lie. They just lie. And it's like, that's a lie. That's not true. Let me calm down, get back to the word of God. Jesus said, Satan is a liar. I mean, I thought about in the same way Martin Luther is the father of the Reformation, Satan is the father of lies. That's how I relate it. But you see, here's the thing. Many things have happened since the end of the Civil War in 1865. Since the end of the Civil War, 156 years ago, the population of the country has grown almost 900%. Our national gross domestic product has increased 12,000%. Friends, slavery did not make America rich. My third point, racism is an unchangeable part of America. And really, this argument is more philosophical than scholarly, but it undergirds the entire 1619 project. It's also insidious. It's dangerous. It's evil because it suggests that the United States is inherently racist country that it cannot overcome its flaws. Friends, that is a lie. Because why? That is exactly what the United States has done and will continue to do, overcome its flaws, okay? America is the most successful multiracial country in history. It's the only American, excuse me, the only white majority country to elect a black president two times. Amen. Amen. I mean, I think of the, one of the most powerful of the nine chief justices in the Supreme Court, Judge Clarence Thomas, a brilliant man. Before him, Justice Thurgood Marshall. Come on. Amen, church. So we know, of course, progress has not always been smooth. There have been terrible setbacks. But compare American attitudes about race today to America 100 years ago, let alone the 1619 Project, is, is absurd. It's absurd. So a couple of facts that should be better known to us all. It is known that 2 million black Africans have come to America as legal immigrants from countries like Nigeria and all in Central Africa in the last 50 years. And they have become the most successful groups in the country in the country. So the question is, why would these folks move to what is often called an evil, racist country? Well, because unlike many people uh, lucky enough to be born he here, they know that America is still a land of opportunity for everybody. And it's also fair to note that while blacks have historically fought for their rights, often against great surmounting odds, they haven't done it alone. A vast Majority of decent whites have also advanced the cause of racial equality. I have a slide here on the Civil Rights Act of 1964, just to cite one example. The U.S. Senate passed a landmark Civil Rights Act in 1964. And here's the thing, it contained 98 whites and two men of color, and they were Asian. They passed that in 1964. The great black leaders of the past, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, Martin Luther King, they never lost faith in America's promise that all people were created equal. Here's the thing. None of them believed that racism was America's defining characteristic, and they were right. 
they were right. Stand with me if you would, please. Shortly after the 1619 Project was published, a group of distinguished historians, and they were mostly all on the left, uh, they wrote a public letter condemning the work, actually. It's out there. It's actually, you have to you read, it's called The Displacement of Historical Understanding by Ideology. And they were right. They were right. America was not founded on slavery. It was founded on the proposition that all men are created equal. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, our Declaration of Independence says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think I have a slide. You can pull that up. Thank you. Genesis 1.27 states that all humans are created in the image of God. That means all humans must be treated with dignity and respect. Can I get an amen? And you know, and there's a verse here in Acts 17.26, very interesting. It says this, all humans uh, descended from one couple, talking about Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, one blood to all nations. Do you know that there is no scientific basis for race across the globe? 99 0.9% of human DNA is the same. That's a fact. That's actually a scientific fact. Say, what do you mean? There's little measurable genetic difference between the so-called races of blacks, whites, or Hispanics. Even the staunch evolutionist, Bill Nye, the science guy, he agreed. He said, well, we're all the same. From a scientific standpoint, there's no such thing as race. Can I get an amen in this place, all right? Now, I may be wrong about many things, but he is right about race. Scientifically, races don't exist. And that's how God views mankind. Can you say amen? Every head bowed here this morning. I know I threw a lot at you, a lot of, a lot of history, but it's to help us take a perspective. And, and in the areas that maybe where we're convicted, that we would, we would deal with those things. And if there's something in your heart that, that you feel this is not right. God views all countries, all nations, all people as humans that have value. Every person has value. I'll never, I'll never forget the time I was, it was in 1985 and I was in, stationed in the Philippines and I had a chance to go out in Longapo in the city and with a church group there, the, some of the Filipino believers and I went to an area that is extremely impoverished in, and, and it so affected me as an 18-year-old young man. And they had people that had chains around their neck. It was collars, and they walked on all four. And I, I just stood there. I, I, I couldn't comprehend what was happening that these human beings were brought to such a place. This was back in 1985. And this may be, be heavy, but we recognize this uh, slavery as an aberration. It is a betrayal of, of the ideal. Jim Crow, and we have paid a dear price in our nation, and in many ways we're still paying it. But, you know, because America has not always lived up to the ideal. I believe we can, though. And I, I believe that God hasn't given up on our nation. Christians recognize that all humans are sinful. And we're not exempt. We're not exempt. Thank you, Lord. 
I just want to conclude here and close in prayer and challenge those here this morning, possibly those uh, listening online and say, you know what, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I'm not right with Him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that now is the time, today is the day. As I said this earlier, as I began to share that <clears throat> this is a time we speak the truth. This is a time that where we don't walk around as a chameleon Christian. This is a time that we make a decision and have a made-up mind. This is a season to get right with the Lord. And I believe the harvest is, is plentiful that is out there, that God's arms are, His grace is being extended, especially even in America, especially even, I believe, in this region, that we're going to see a tremendous harvest of souls come in the kingdom, people coming, uh, because of uh, uh, knowing the truth that God exists, that he, he has a plan for our life and that eternal life is real. Salvation is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And if that's you here this morning with every head bowed, you say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I'm not right with God. Today is a great day for you to make a decision. You have the power to choose your destiny, your future, your eternal destiny. God gives you that. I believe that. I don't believe some people are chosen and other people are damned. No, I believe that God's desire is that all men and women are saved from every nation, every, every color, every creed, all, all, all races, all, all people groups, all cultures. God desires that. You're here today. You may be listening online. You said, Pastor, pray for me. I need to get right. I want to lead you in a prayer. You're not joining this church, but you are joining the family of God. Say, I want that, Pastor. I want to make that decision. I want Jesus Christ in my life. I, I want to know I have eternal life. I want to, I want to be born again. I, I, I want to follow God. Let's pray together. Say to me, say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Save me. Jesus, I give you my life. Now take it. Thank you for saving me. I will serve you all the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, if you pray that prayer, whether online or whatever, here this morning, I believe you meant it. God meant it. You're born again. We want to help you. We want to help you grow in your faith. We want to help you. Uh, Harvest is a church that you can, you can be a part of. You can grow with your family. And, uh, and if the Lord would tarry, in a hundred years from now, harvest will still be going. I believe that. You say, well, some of you don't even have kids yet. Your kids, kids, they grow up and they go, you know, there was a group of people, kind of like the Puritans, that stood up in a time that was, you know, a dangerous time. And they'll write history about us someday. They'll write history about you. You know that? Because we got all your names. We got all your names. Yes, so-and-so. They, they served. They helped. They cleaned. They planted trees. They did grass. They, come on, somebody. Amen. They were on the worship team. They served. If the Lord would tarry, some of you think God's coming back any day. Listen, there's a lot of work to be done, church. Don't mean to burst your bubble. <laughs> Jesus is coming back, but we got some time. If Jesus was coming back tomorrow, why would he have us build a church now? Amen, church. With the future. There's a future that he has for you and I. There's a future for your family and your children's children, a place, a haven, a temple where we can worship the king. Amen, church. Amen. I want to invite the altar workers to come forward. And, and uh, maybe you, you just need additional prayer. You need hands laid upon you. They are here to pray the prayer of faith. They can agree together with you. 
That is a powerful prayer. They can lay hands on you if you're, you know, not feeling well or whatever you would like. Uh, you need additional prayer, whatever it may be, uh, something that going on in your life. I just want you to know that they're here for you, for you to receive ministry. Amen, church. Now, next week, we have our children, the Christmas program, correct? Uh, is it the 5th, December? <clears throat> so great time. You need to get here early. Uh, be a lot of visitors for that. And uh, Katie's done a wonderful job putting that together with all the helpers. So I just want to encourage you with that. We're entering the Christmas season. Uh, I'm not done with all this on the nation, but we'll have a, we'll have a gospel message uh, uh, for that uh, for next week. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you right now. I thank you for every person that is here. Those listening online, we just speak continued blessing. Lord, a lot of information has gone forth here today. Lord, I just pray that you would just, you, your just hand would be upon it, Lord, that we would, uh, we would be a people that we're not destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lord, that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. And whatever that truth that we need in our life from your word, that we would apply it and we would receive freedom. Lord, I pray that Church of Harvest would be a body of people that are not bound, but free. Free indeed in Christ Jesus. Free to love, free to minister, free to care, free to reach out to all people. I just pray that, Father, that that spirit would permeate this church, this church body. I thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.